This is the first Sunday of our summer schedule. And so you guys are the ones who get it. I want you to show grace to the people who are coming in for nothing when you're walking out, okay? (laughs) Who still think that there's a 1030 service. Believe me, they're busted enough, okay? Because that means they haven't been here for a couple weeks. So be nice to them, they'll catch up and we'll make room. Um, Okay, Revelation chapters eight and nine. Chapters eight and nine, there's no way, Tom. You go an hour on a single verse. Um, Well, we're not gonna read the whole thing. We're gonna summarize it. We are in a study of the book of Revelation called uh, Live Ready. Live Ready. And so many people, so many people who ask questions about this book, who ask questions about end time prophecy are all about getting ready for the end of the world. And because of that, we miss the truths that Jesus is trying to show us. We're getting ready for the end of the world. He's about getting us ready for a new world, a new heaven, a new earth, a new relationship with him, a new reality. And that's how it ends. I read the end and uh, it's all very good. So uh, this week, uh, this week, I mean, since Monday, since Monday, this has been really um, weighing heavy on me. Um, I want you to hang with us. It's going to seem like a downer, but it's, but it's not, but it's not. So, so hang with us. We're going to take a look uh, at chapters 8 and 9. And what happens in the beginning of 8, let's look at 8.1, first, first verse. When the Lamb, that's Jesus, opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Now, this comes as a surprise because last week, if you were with us, we talked about, there were two scenes we looked at, one on earth and one in heaven. The one on earth was that God was sealing or marking or tatting out 144,000 people for himself, right? Marking them for himself. Then the other scene that we saw was this incredible, huge blowout celebration of God and and joy in heaven, right? And, And all of the people. And now everything's still. Everything's still. What is that about? Um, it's almost as if everybody in heaven is on pins and needles. And here's the reason. Uh, Jesus opens the seventh seal. It is the last seal in the title deed to earth. If you've been following, he's taking back his creation. He's taking back all those things that belong to him. And he wants all people to be involved in that get ready for his new creation. Now, in the seven seal judgments, very quickly, you're gonna see the seventh seal, there are seven trumpet judgments. And in the seventh trumpet, there are seven bowl judgments. So this is big. God is preparing to pour out his judgment, his wrath on the earth and the people of the earth. And there's silence. He hits the pause button. What's that about? That's about mercy. That's about love. That's about my justice requires 
that I make all things right. But to do that, there are people who will experience this because they don't want to experience me and my forgiveness. And I'll wait. That's mercy. We are in a period of silence, of that waiting. So, so we want to make good use of it. He's waiting for people to come to him. And so we see these judgments pour out, right? The first trumpet uh, in chapter eight goes and it starts raining hail and fire and blood. And, and can you see like Kathy Sabin talking about that? On the, they don't even have the graphics for that, right? And what happens? Um, trees and grasses are burned up. Um, his natural creation. Secondly, uh, when the second trumpet blows, he, there's a great mountain that's on fire that falls into the sea. And a third of the sea turns into blood. And there are fish that are killed. There are s- s- uh, ships that are sunk and all kinds of things. Uh, the third trumpet Judgment is poured out on rivers. We have a lot of rivers here. We have the North River, we have the Taylor, we have the Gunnison. A third of the rivers turn to blood or, or no, uh, wormwood. Uh, they're poisoned and people begin to die from drinking the water um, that was in these rivers. Um, then the fourth trumpet getting toward the end of um, chapter eight blows. And what happens with the fourth trumpet is a third of the um, sun gets struck. Now, either one of two ways that I can think of it, either daylight is cut by eight hours or day and night stay the same, but the intensity of the sun is lessened by a third, which either way, I mean, we can't tell, but either way, it's a very bad thing because it affects everything from the production of food and agriculture to Climate change, you thought about uh, global warming, this is going to take care of that, okay? And it's going to inconvenience everybody who thought that solar panels were the next big thing. Um, and then, to top it all off, after those four uh, trumpet judgments, there's an eagle that flies over and says, whoa, whoa, whoa. Now, some really rabid Americans think that's America, but uh, I don't know that that's the truth because we're one of the biggest offenders. So... Um, love America. I think we all need to repent. Um, anyway, so right when we need to find our happy place, chapter nine comes and picks up right where chapter eight left off with the fifth trumpet in chapter nine. There's an awful plague of locusts. And if you read through it, these are not like any other locusts and I wouldn't look for insects because um, these, these, this attack, this plague, if you will, doesn't attack plants or crops. It tortures people. And only those that have not been marked, have not been tatted or labeled for God. Okay? Because we looked at last week, no wrath of God comes on anyone who hides themselves, who comes to the cross. Why? Because Jesus experienced the wrath of God for us fully. And when we receive him, all wrath has been poured out on him as our substitute. So, so there's not, 
There's not any. And it says only on those who did not receive the mark of God. And then the sixth trumpet blows at the end of of chapter 9. And this is the mother of all world wars. It breaks out. Um, This war makes all previous world wars look like getting a wedgie on the playground. Um, Take my word for it. I know what that looks like from the first person. Um, It says that four angels from the four uh, corners or quadrants or east, north, west, south, lead armies combined total of 200 million people and claim the lives of one-third of the earth's residents. Now, horrible stuff. Nobody is saying this isn't horrible stuff. And when you and I read stuff like this here or in the Old Testament, or we go through some kind of tragedy in our own lives, it raises skepticism skepticism about the goodness or maybe the existence of God. Maybe there isn't a God, and and if there is a God, maybe he's not good. And this comes from outside the church, those who are not yet followers of Jesus Christ, and it comes from inside the church, and we know this. We know this. We, we struggle with this. Although church isn't typically a place where we uh, feel free to have doubts or um, question our skepticism. This is the place. This is the place because every week we try to come face to face with God. He shows us who he is. He shows us who we are. And he shows us his, his rescue plan to get us from where we are to where he is because of what he's done through Jesus Christ. So if you're a skeptic, welcome. Welcome. You you have a place here. And we're going to look at some of those questions that come up when we read things like this, when we experience tragedy in our own lives. And here's, here's what it sounds like sometimes. Here's what it sounds like sometimes. What kind of God would do this? What kind of God would do this? I can't believe in a God who, fill in the blank. I can't believe in a God who destroys things. I can't believe in a God who judges so harshly. I can't believe in a God who, whatever it is that you can't believe in a God who. And and if we're honest, most of us have gotten to that point if we're not there now. My God is all loving. Okay, We're not so bad. People aren't so bad. People are basically good. People are basically good. It's the outliers who who he's talking about. I I wish that were true. I wish that were true. When we say people are basically good, you're talking about me and I don't qualify for that. Okay? You're talking about you and the Bible says you don't either. And, and, and I'm, not, I'm not coming down on you. I'm just saying that we're going to see in the scriptures that when we say good, it's compared to who? Each other or to the ultimate goodness of God and what he deserves. So where this all stems from, all these feelings, a lot of the things that we wrestle with when we're checking out the faith or trying to walk through the faith is this. We as human beings, even as Christ followers, suffer from a low view of God, his holiness, his goodness, 
none of us has as high a view of God as he deserves. We can't. You can't overemphasize how high and mighty and good and awesome God is. You can't. You can't overshoot him. And because we don't have a high enough view of God, we tend to have too high a view of ourselves. And because we have this low view of God, this high view of ourselves, we have a low view of the gospel, of Jesus coming and rescuing us. We don't understand how awesome and huge and desperate that we are for that because we don't realize the distance. So that's what we're going to take a look at. And you say, well, Tom, thanks a lot because now I have more questions than when I came in. Don't worry. I have a movie. You got a lot of time because we're starting at nine. I have a movie I want you to watch, okay? I think it's gonna explain everything. If you'd lower the lights, get comfortable. Let's watch the movie. Let's watch the movie. Okay, did you like it? Did you like I think that movie is awesome. What'd you think of the screenwriter and the director? Did you like how in the beginning it seemed all dispersed, but by the end uh, they tied it all together? Would you have done the same thing? It, it's pretty fascinating. What are your opinions? Some of you are saying, Tom, you're a lunatic. You just showed me a two-second clip of a movie that runs an hour and 45 minutes. There's no way I can have an opinion on the screenwriter or the director. I'd have to see the whole thing. I agree. I agree. But that two-second clip is the same as our life here on earth, if we were to live 80 years compared to recorded human history. And yet, living in our two-second clip, we don't have any problem criticizing the screenwriter of the grand cosmic narrative or the director of all things or saying if this movie was about me and I was running it, here's how I'd do it. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. I don't, I can't believe in a God who would do this during my two seconds. If you see it, if you see it all, you'd know he's good, he's good. Let's try to clear this up with the word of God. Colossians 1.16 says this. Here's some baseline things that we'll be working off of. For by him, by Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. Say this with me, this underlined part. All things were created through him and for him. Ooh, all things, all things were created through him and for him. Jesus owns everything, everything. It's all for him and for his glory. By his grace, he's used it to bless us for our joy in him. But the second one that complements this is in James 1.17. Take a look at that. James 1.17 says this, every good gift 
And every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, in whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Every good gift, every perfect gift comes from God. What does this mean? That means that every smile, every laugh that you have with your friends, every comfort, every delicious bite of food, every love, every song, every beautiful day, every sight that you see, every ability to see, every good thing in your life that you have ever experienced and ever will experience comes from God. He owns it all. And it all comes from him. Every color. What's your favorite color? What's your favorite color? What do you love to dress in? Rachel, I know you love purple, don't you? You love purple. God invented purple. What's your favorite color? Nobody has a favorite color. Okay, great. What do you got? Red. God invented red. Red is God's. Red is God's. Everything that you enjoy comes from God, comes from God, is a gift. And the eyes that we see it with are a gift. And the light that we see it by is a gift. So if everything is a gift from God, then how do we live? Do we live like that? And can we tell that by the way we worship? So what does worship have to do with this? Everything. Everything, because you and I don't just worship on Sunday. You and I worship all the time. I love how Pastor Chris Hewitt puts it. He wrote this, worship is the sum total of our attention, focus, and longings. Longings. There is so much more than what happens on Sunday mornings. Worship is so ingrained into our character and nature that we do it all the time, even without thinking. So the question becomes not if I am worshiping, but who or what am I worshiping? Here's the Burgraph paraphrase. We are always worshiping, giving someone or something props, right? Everything belongs to God, so God gets the props always always in everything, but we don't. We, we don't do that. Not all of us, not all the time, not for everything, not one of us, right? We don't give God the props. So we're going to take a look at some practical ways um, that we can or should, and, and we don't. Let's look at food. Um, of course, I'm going to turn to food first, right? If you bring up that graphic, um, Oh, yeah, that's lovely. That beautiful cheeseburger with a side of fries belongs to God. Say, no, that belongs to Power Stop. Power Stop made it. Nobody has ever made anything without raw ingredients that belong to God. And God invented and gifted you and me with the ability to savor that, to enjoy that. Every taste, God God decided that beef and cheese with lettuce, tomato, I imagine there's some mayo on there, and I should go well together. And you think it's funny. 
It's true. It's true. Everyone, no, listen. Let's do this. Everyone here has either said or heard, most of you both, if you're parents, um, a middle school or high school child, go to the refrigerator, open the door, and stand there with the light shining on their stomach and look in and say, What? There's nothing to eat in this house. (laughs) To which the mother, praise God for moms, replies, there's plenty to eat here, honey. There's lots of things. There's leftover chicken. There's pizza. I have that tofu I've been trying to get you to eat. And there's yogurt. You need to eat that because you know how you struggle with the... And then the child invariably says, what I mean is, there's nothing here that I want. Nothing here that I want. Do you know that in most cultures in the world today, the thought of being only hungry for a particular kind of food that we right now desire is a completely foreign concept. The food they want is any food, any food. But in our prosperity, you say, I I can't make ends meet. Chances are you have a choice of what to eat, even if it's Doritos or Top Ramen. We forget that, that food is a gift All food belongs to God. Every bite of food and the way that it tastes belongs to him. It's a gift that we can distinguish between Ben and Jerry's and Brussels sprouts. It is. All food belongs to him. I'm not so sure he's uh, excited about beets because I'm not sure he made them for human consumption. But every bite of food belongs to God. And now we question, should we say grace before dinner? Why don't we say grace before breakfast? I don't know anybody that does. But God, the same God who made dinner wonderful and and provided that for us, invented the fact that milk should taste incredible when poured over cinnamon toast crunch cereal. We should be saying grace all the time. Technically, we should be saying grace over every bite because God has provided God owns all food. It all comes from him. He deserves that. Okay, let's do this. Maybe you go to work every day and there's a fridge at your work and you bring your lunch and you have a habit of bringing turkey breast with bacon on wheat nut bread with just the smallest, thinnest slice of avocado and that's what you bring. Just saying, just saying. And you put that in the fridge to eat during your lunch break. But every day, somebody comes and takes your food. And you go there at noon, and your bag is gone, your sandwich is gone. They never ask. They never say thank you. So you wise up, right? This has happened for years, but finally you've figured this out. You're gonna take your lunch at 11 o'clock so that you get to eat that, and you do it. And at 11.45, when the thief comes, and they find your turkey bacon avocado sandwiches gone, 
they get mad. And they come after you. And they yell at you because that was a sandwich that they had counted on eating and now they're going hungry. How crazy would that be? It's exactly what we do. It's exactly what we do. All food belongs to God. We don't worship him with it. We don't praise him for every bite, for every morsel. Let's look at clothes. Let's look at clothes. What? It's got all your colors there, right? Now, none of you are naked, and I'm very grateful for that. I'm very, very grateful for that. If everything belongs to God, and we love clothes, and every good gift comes from God, then God owns all your clothes, from your T-shirts down to your Tom's shoes, which I think are a little funky, but they're popular and go for it. Um, all your clothes belong to God. Do you say grace every time you get dressed? Do you thank him for your clothes? Um, or do we feel like what we really need is more, better, more fashionable clothes? We're at a point where we're getting our house together. Um, Cherie's been doing some cleaning and I'm ashamed. I am ashamed at the bags and bags of clothes that on one day, one day, I couldn't live without. I had to have. And now I wouldn't notice if they were gone. I wouldn't notice. We are giving away more clothes than most people in the world own. And I still have too many. And here's the kicker. If you put me in a mall today, I'd want more. I'd see something. Put me in a mall right now. And you would too. And you would too. And and, and so we're we're not grateful that we're clothed. We have this hunger for more and better and newer and one in every color. And yet, we ignore the fact that God, even in the midst of that, wants to clothe our naked spirits with himself, with himself. If we were as grateful for being clothed and wanting to be clothed in him and filled with him, our lives would be so different. Every time I pulled my sleeves up, every time I adjusted my pants, I'd remember that they were his and I'd be grateful and I'd seek to be clothed in him as much as I seek to get the clothes that I really want. How about our thrill-seeking? That's, that's a fun thing. Any snowboarders, any skiers? That's actually CB. Um, that's me in the red. Um, <laughs> We're thrill seekers. And you know what? That's a great thing. You know why? Because God created your ability to be thrilled. And knowing him is the ultimate thrill. So I would say that while we're thrill seekers, most of us are bad at it. Why? Because we settle for that. We think that's as good as it gets. 
and it's not. That's meant, like everything is meant, food, clothes, everything else, to point us to him. But we build a cul-de-sac in those things, don't we? Right? So this is Crested Butte. And this person is riding and that person is jumping. And we know that you can't do that unless you get a pass, right? You have to get a pass. There are crazy laws in place in our community. Dave knows this well. Corey knows it well. They are raft guides, river guides, right? If there are places up Taylor and other places where it's private. And what happens if you touch the bottom or stop your raft? Bad things, right? If you're fishermen or women, you know this too. You have to get permission, okay? Now, and a lot of us go to to Hartman's. Now, do you know that CBMR does not own that mountain? Do you know that the Taylor homeowners don't own that stretch of river? Do you know that the county does not own Hartman Rocks? They have a title to it, but God owns it. How often have you and I skied, ridden, rafted, fished, ride our bikes on his property without paying the due? What is that? Thanksgiving, praise, worship. It's all meant to point us to its source, not to become an end unto itself. Let's look at uh, something I really enjoy. I think a lot of you do. Um, Music. Got any music lovers out there? Okay, come on. I'm not going to like, oh, you're going out. (laughs) We're talking, right? Music lovers. We all, it's like the soundtrack of our our world, right? That, uh, this is an old graphic, but I mean, that's Macy Gray. She used to be cool. Um, But it was there. Um, What do you like? What do you like to listen to? Like, don't give me the Christian answer. I really want to know what. Country, really. There's some counseling for you later. That's okay. <laughs> Sweetie, no, my daughter's into that. And I love her, so I can love you. See that bridge? We're all about grace here. What else? Anybody else have a different style they like to listen to? Golden oldies. And, and I would never guess that about you. Never. <laughs> never, ever. What else? What do you like to listen to? Metal. We got a metal head over there. Good, good. How many songs do you think you have combined on your, on your computer, iPad, iPhone, iPod, all of that? How, zero, zero, good. Yeah, stick to the eight tracks. They're gonna come back, Tim. I know, I know. Yeah, I'm, bet, I'm betting on the Betamax. Yeah. How many do you think you got? Thousands? Thousands? You got more than, how many you think you got an inch? It's amazing. You know what I love is when you hear a song and, and when you're like me, you got more and more history and you haven't heard it in like decades and you still know all the words. Can you relate? How many songs do you think we've heard throughout our lifetimes? I mean, hundreds of thousands? Maybe, I don't know, but it's staggering. God invented music. 
God owns every note. Every note of every tone, of every instrument, of every voice. He invented the fact that we should get joy and inspiration and motivation and sometimes reflection. Whatever we get out of music, it's, it's from him. Every good gift comes from God. Every note comes from God. So we get this, we understand this as it relates to digital music. If you and I download a, a song right? We pay for it if, if it's not free, right? We pay for it. It doesn't matter how much money Nicki Minaj has. If I download one of her songs and don't pay for it, I steal from her. In fact, the law calls that what? Piracy, right? And you could pay a heavy fine you could go to jail and get a roommate and a boyfriend all in one. You could, it's going to go very badly because you stole. Oh, like I'm not saying anything you haven't heard before. There's worse things in that book. Read it. Because you stole. If we have listened to Hundreds of thousands of songs. And de- how many times have we just heard music say, I love that. Thank you, God, because all music is yours. All music is yours. Every good gift belongs to you. You say, Tom, if every time I ate, if every time I got dressed, if every time I heard music, if every time, I, if every time all I did was thank God and worship God, I would do nothing other than that. Amen. And you and I would experience more joy and more peace and more life than we ever imagined was out there. Ever imagined was possible. And none of us does it. So when we get a high view of God, we recognize how fall how far short we fall of giving him his props, of giving him his worship, of giving him his attention, what he's due. Did any of your children today breathe their last? If not, praise God. Because some of you do know the pain of losing loved ones. But on the day that they do, you and I should not presume to curse God if we haven't at every moment it didn't happen praised him for that. You see the dichotomy? Anybody who doesn't live till 80, we see as being ripped off. When every day, of a life. Every moment is a gift. My mother and father, um, today I celebrate my mom, you know. Patricia and Kevin, they're, they're my two siblings who, who, who died less than a week old because of a blood disease that she passed along to them. She was so angry at God that 
she became a nun after my dad died. So she could be married to the lover of her soul. She has experienced more pain than I have. And yet she sees those three days, five days as a gift that only she got, only my father got. Not that she won't see him play baseball or walk her down the aisle. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. If we recognize how big God is and how good he is and we praise him for everything and we worship him and thank him for everything, then when he takes it away, we realize he is better than his gifts. When he lavishes us with blessing, we praise him because he's good. And when he takes it away, we praise him because he's better than his gifts. And yet we don't live that way. I don't live that way fully. You don't either. The only one who lived that way, who had that faithfulness was Jesus Christ. And that is the very one who comes and says, I'll trade you. I'll trade you your ungrateful, hard heart for my soft, loving heart. I'll trade you your disobedience for my obedience. I'll trade you your unrighteousness and sin for my righteousness. I'll become all the times you forgot where everything came from and forgot to return praise. And in me, you will not experience wrath because I'm going to take it for you. When we see God for who he really is, we can see ourselves for who we really are. And we see the gospel and Christ's sacrifice for how beautiful it is and how desperate we are for it. When we read things like this, when we go through things like tragedy, let it remind us of two things. One, that God can't win with our sinful hearts. God can't. When he blesses us, we ignore and forget him. When he removes his blessing, we shake our fist. Let it remind us that God is more awesome than we ever imagined, that we are more broken than we ever feared. And in Jesus Christ, we are still more loved than we ever dreamed. Let's pray. Lord, um, your word says at the end of chapter nine that even after all of this, the people who were left on the earth did not repent, did not change their minds, did not run home to you for love and mercy. We don't want that to be true of us. Lord, those who are in the church 
who claim to be your followers and those who are outside, Lord. We desperately need your mercy. We'd ask you to open our eyes to all that you are. Open our hearts to how good and glorious you are. Let us realize how far we, how far we, sh- we, we fall short. And let us realize how great the sacrifice of Jesus Christ is to bring us home. We all need that. We all need that. Give us grace to go through our lives in constant praise, in constant worship, because every good gift comes from you. And Lord, if you take it back, it's within your right. And we'll realize that you're better than your gifts. Lord, if, if there's people here who need to make things right, pour out gratitude that they've been holding back, confess to bitterness, or come to you for the first time, or return to you, Lord, that we be empowered to do that. Empowered to do that. And that we wouldn't barrel on with life like normal. But be wholly dependent, wholly grateful, wholly loving. Thank you for your sacrifice in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, we are going to sing. We, we sing about how great God is. It's a reminder for us to live lives as song. Um, if you have unfinished business with God that he has laid on your heart, don't be like one at the end of chapter nine. He says, after all of this, after all I've poured out, after all I've removed, they didn't change their mind. Let's let him change us.